Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Hilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Hey guys, welcome back to Mom Brain. I'm Daphne. I'm Ilaria, and today we get to talk to Cheryl Crow, who is a Grammy-winning, amazing music legend. I mean, she is a household name, and she's an incredible mom. She has survived cancer. She has adopted two boys. She's a single mom. She gives us some really great tips and is very open and and honest about how her journey has has come. Yeah, I was really I was really grateful. She um she opened up and she was so uh, so thoughtful about all of the advice that she was giving. I was so amazed by her story. She has had so much resilience in her life. She is so strong. Obviously, I've been a fan of her music forever, and it was really fun to become a fan of her as a family woman and as a single parent. Um, and you guys are going to love this interview. So super grounded, lots of great tips. I just want to sing all my favorite Cheryl Crow songs right now. I know, it's so <laughs> I want to do. <laughs> I will, I'll be totally honest with you back. Okay, really quick sidebar. Back in the day when cars only played CDs and things, um, my, well, I don't know, they had radio, obviously. Whatever. The point is we listened to CDs because cars didn't have video players in them. And my parents loved a road trip. And my dad and mom, I kid you not, had like Pottery Barn Volume 4 and every Cheryl Crow CD. So Cheryl Crow will always remind me of amazing, amazing road trips with my family. Some not so amazing, but Cheryl always got me through them. And uh, all we want to do is have some fun. And we definitely had that with Cheryl. So take a listen. Hi, hey. how are you? Great. How's it going? Good. Where Where are you? It looks pretty outside behind you. Oh, I'm sitting in tropical Nashville, Tennessee. Beautiful. It's it is raining. It's raining, been raining, raining nonstop. Oh, really? It's like we literally live in the rainforest. <laughs> <laughs> Lush and green. It's pouring rain here in New York, and it happens to be the UN General Assembly. It is the perfect trifecta of like terrible miserable, traffic, terrible, terrible traffic. <laughs> so. Oh my goodness! Well, uh, I watched a little bit of President Trump's speech, and I was longing for Alex. <laughs> <laughs> so I I met your boys once, and they're so well behaved. How do you, how do you do it? Oh, thank you. I, I threaten them with an inch of their lives. <laughs> now they're great boys. You know they um, they have been all over the world, and they've been on tour buses with you know lots of adults since they were weeks old. I mean my my second little boy. I got a call while I was on David Letterman saying your son is here. Oh. And it was on my three-year-old's birthday. Oh, and my so we goodness. went and got him. Uh, and they had the same birthday? He got, his, he got a little brother for his birthday. They're born oh, May 7 and May 8. Oh, my God. Uh, oh, and then two weeks later, we, were, um, we, we played out of the country. So he had a passport when he was, you know, weeks old. So they, they are they're good boys. They've seen a lot, and they, they are not spoiled knock on wood um so yeah it's been a real amazing adventure with those two they're not spoiled they've been they've been around the world or do you believe in like a wooden spoon strategy are you do you have to be a tough mom sometimes because they're two boys and oh my gosh i'm a tough mom i mean my bless my kids hearts they did not get Fortnite until like this summer when my 11 year old came to me he's like mom will you please let me prove to you that i can handle 
Fortnite and get off when you say it was like a whole thing. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm strict. I'm obviously I'm an older mom. And so there's certain things I just think are kids are missing out on now. And I really try Like we are big nature freaks. As you can see out the window, we have horses and cow. We live right in the middle of Nashville and we have horses and um, we spend most of our time outside and there, you know, and I am, you know, I just wanted to have a normal upbringing as normal as it can be when we're traveling, obviously. But so are they, do you homeschool them? No, they go to a private school here. Um, but it's really diverse. And one of the reasons that not to make excuses for going to a private school, but I, I, I grew up in public schools. So, um, but we, because we travel, like we went to Australia three weeks last year, I have to be able to take them out of school and right. me not get arrested, so, <laughs> right. which they'll that's do okay, in Tennessee. I mean, they'll throw you under the jail if your kids miss more than eight days. You know, I want to know about, because you are a more traditional parent or a stricter parent, as you, as you, as you say, what are like five things that, that you think are really important values for, for raising children? Um, well, my, my first rule of thumb is that I keep my phone. I only, I keep it on silent and I only check it, um, when they're not around and everybody that works with me, though, I'm sure it's frustrating knows that I, I think it's important for them in their lives to feel like that they are more important to me than anything else. And mm-hmm. that when they, you know, I, I have memories of my mom being on the phone, which was obviously tethered to the wall because I grew up during the dark ages. But um, they, I don't have, you know, I don't have memories of my mom being on the phone at long lengths of time. And, you know, and I don't want them to have that memory either. So that that's one thing, just being present. Um, uh, another rule is that we sit down to dinner. Obviously, right now that works out great because they're only 11 and 8. Um, but, um, we sit down at night at six o'clock and we eat dinner and we talk and laugh and, you know, do all that. And hopefully we can sustain that through their sporting years. Um, that's another thing. And I mean, I just think it's important to have at least a moment where everything stops. Um, and then, you know, everything else is, you know, it's pretty standard. I have certain rules about how much video time they can have really because I feel like it really affects their brain and their creativity. So they get 30 minutes of iPad or 30 minutes of Xbox or whatever it is. And with Fortnite, we do a trade-off where they have to read 30 minutes if they're going to play 30 minutes of Fortnite. Because I think Fortnite is, it's it's much more addicting than probably the other stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I, you know, honestly, I just try to keep things as balanced around here as possible. We have pets because I think they're really calming and so they they're going up around animals and then you know the the i'd say probably the last thing is that they understand that they're growing up in a bigger house than a lot of their friends they they understand that they are are um getting to go to amazing places and so part of our part of our structure is that they see me giving money to homeless people and they want to do that so i give them we had a game during the tour where they got $20 a day and they had to get rid of it. And it was a fun game. I mean, they they had great stories and felt really, I think they felt like they were being very adult, giving their money away, as opposed to, oh, geez, I wish I could take this and buy a new Lego set. So, I mean, there are just certain things they grow up with an awareness of, but hopefully they have. And, you know, we talk about God's blessings all the time. Um, 
and they they understand that not everybody has the life that we have and um but with that comes a lot of you know comes a lot of uh, not only responsibility but hopefully a compassionate component component that's so important teaching kids how how to give and how to be thoughtful and you know regardless if it's celebrity or something else this that we are different in our own way and this is how it's important to be part of the world that may not look or be like us or talk like us but this is how you can both be home and be us and be out in the world and be able to um be a a a strong force yeah and you know um with my kids there was a moment where they're like why don't you ever post pictures of us you know or um i remember my 11 year old asking me when he was seven mom if you're famous that means i'm famous too right and (laughs) there's been a lot of and i'm sure you you are going to have that for sure with your kids but there there you know we've had a lot of conversations about what it means to be well known and that that word famous is not that's not as cool as it sounds um and to be well known for working hard and doing something well is not a bad thing but it goes along with the work and the work is what makes it fun And, you know, I have to keep, you know, continue on with that, with that conversation because everything is about being famous now. So, um, definitely with social media. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like you, I mean, it sounds like for, in, in, in an interesting way, you've managed to balance having what sounds like a very exciting and um, and dynamic and maybe constantly changing life where you you, know, you travel to Australia for a couple of weeks and your kids have to, as a result of that, become very resilient to changing environments, to changing um, you know, influences in their life. How do you create maybe a structure or a where, how do you create, I want to say home wherever you go, but it's even more than that. What are the routines of your day that give them that sense of normalcy? Because at 11 and, and, and 8, I think you said, they're, you know, it's funny, they probably think they're grownups, but they're still kids. And how do you, you know, give them that too? Well, they, they have, they have traveled, they've, they've grown up on buses and they love that. And there's going to be a time where they don't love it. My 11 year old is starting to, to discover girls and there's going to be a moment in time. Oh, exciting. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what I do is not as cool. You know, they, they'd rather stay home. And, but the whole thing is like what you said, it's all about routine. So we, we get up on the tour bus in whatever town we're in. Um, you know, I, I have coffee. Um, we do, they get to watch some cartoons and then we do some homework even in the summer like we do reading or we do some work pages or whatever it's all about structure and then we go out and we do whatever in that town is the cool thing to do whether it's science museums or whether it's a water park or whether it's um, an amusement park or an escape room or whatever we we plan it out we figure out what we're going to do I have a great girl that's been with me since my boys were well, since my 11-year-old was three months, so she's been with me 11, 11 years. Wow. And she's very sharp. She knows how I like to do things. And But I go with them, and then I go to sound check, and then we eat dinner, and then I go on stage. And they read and get to do, you know, Fortnite or whatever. That's what happened this summer is they, if they read 30, they got to do Fortnite. And then Wait, we have to talk about Fortnite, by the way, because I do feel like this is a new thing that parents of 2018 of you know any boy over the age of six is are just reckoning with in a way they never knew they were going to have to it's crazy we're watching college kids not not be able to like they lose track of time and they're not even you know people are dropping out of of college because they can't pull themselves away to go to school i mean it, it it is different when you start um 
Like I made, I made the early mistake of using the iPad on the airplanes to let them do um, educational games, like drawing letters out of foam and all that sort of, like what I thought were some really great, like they're learning their letters, they're learning how to pattern and do all kinds of things. There's great things on the iPad. And then I realized what that does is it stimulates an endorphin in the brain that doesn't want, I mean, why would I want to turn a page or right. put a pencil to the page? And so I'm always like talking to young parents about, look, save yourself. Don't take your kids to a restaurant and give them an iPad and think, oh, this is great. They're so well behaved because you're creating a monster. Um, you know, if you want to go out to a restaurant, leave your kids at home with a babysitter, but don't bring them out and put an iPad in front of them because that, that teaches them how to not socialize and, and you're also creating a monster. I mean, there's all kinds of things. And, you know, you were asking a while ago about the the homeschooling as opposed to and how our lives are different. I really, I mean, I think I think it's, dif- it's different for everybody. I, I actually try not to tour during the year at all because I feel like them having as much of a normal life is is better. And that's just my belief system for my kids. That's not the way it is for everybody. But... I think them having friends and having a routine and having as much of a normal life as possible um, is what's best for for my kids, at least. And I I am philosophical about it. I think that kids, you don't get the wrong kids, whether whether they're biological or not. They come in, they pick you, you know, they come in knowing what they're getting to a certain extent. And my kids signed up for me. They got, you know, a busy mom and and we're learning in this life together and working out our karma. And it's great. You know, it's fantastic. But I do try to at least be um, cognizant of what a little kid needs in order to have a childhood. You know, you 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 touched it. You touched on it a bit before of, you know, raising kids and, and your the parents are a certain way, you know, I mean, you're, um, you know, a big superstar. My, my husband is a, is a very famous, um, actor. Um, and you know, I look at the kids and I see a ton of kids who, who grow up with, with parents who are either famous or with means and they associate themselves just naturally. They are us, you know, we are a clan, we live together. And, you know, I'm, I do worry as my kids get older um, I, I get nervous about, are they going to be able to find their own careers? Are they going to think that they have to go into the same kind of career um, just because that's what they're used to and that gives a certain lifestyle that they're comfortable with? Or are they going to be, you know, able to say, hey, you know what, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a teacher, I want to be a mechanic, whatever whatever it might be. Um, what is, what's your advice on that, of, of them really creating their own identity um, while they're in the mix of, of such, you know, this incredible life. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. My kids never really they never had an idea of what of I mean, they knew I was famous because, you know, we'd land at airports and the paparazzi would want to get pictures of not just me but them, you know, which would be very confusing. Uh, like why do they want pictures of us? Well, mm-hmm. because, you know, you're now because your mom is in the is in the public life they want to see everything about me and that includes you but the the one thing I think they never put together was that what I do actually is a lot of work and this this past record that I made they came down a lot I made it during school hours which was you know that that in and of itself is is 
a ridiculous statement to be creative. But talk about that. What, how is that work process so different now, now that you've got kids? <laughs> yeah, I mean, used to, I would start recording like at 11 at night and finish up, you know, at right. six in the morning. Wow. And it was like vampire life. Or I would have like four <laughs> glasses of wine with a bunch of friends and, you know, write and record. And Or I'd wake up in the morning at, you know, five in the morning and you know, make a cup of coffee and sit down and write. And I'm too tired. I mean, I am, my head hits the pillow at 930 at night and I'm out. <laughs> I'm so boring. Oh, I would say me too. I, I think uh, Daphne, you're a little more exciting than I am. I, not by, not intentionally, <laughs> by, by, la- by lack of actually being able to get myself in, in the bed at 930, which is my, would be my dream. Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, I wish, I wish I had, you know, some other life. I should be having a lot more fun, uh, in my social life or as tired as I am all the time. But they, um, they came down. I, I, I decided, you know, I've got all this stuff to say. I made a record in about three and a half weeks. Oh my goodness. Like I was so, I couldn't believe that it was during the, the political, um, uh, during the presidential uh, campaign and oh my gosh talk about a lot to write about but I decided you know what I'm going to write my record and record it while my kids are at school so I'd drop them off I'd work out I'd go down to the studio which is in my barn uh, about 10 o'clock and we'd work till 2.30 and I'd go pick up the boys and then they'd come down to the studio and hang out for a couple of hours and that was the first time they actually saw what I do which is to take to make something out of nothing, nothing that was ever here before and turn it into something that you could sing or dance to or whatever, you know, it's, it is a weird job and it takes a lot of thought and a lot of, I mean, a lot of, a lot of solitude and a lot of work and uh, practicing and making it good. And they, it was the first time they ever saw what I do is being work, not as my putting on makeup and cute clothes and walking down stage and having thousands of people clap and sing and whatever. I mean, that's, that's all great and that looks like fun, but I don't think they realize that there's work that goes into it. And it made them a lot more interested and it made them sort of want to be more involved. And, you know, I, I think that's, I think trying to keep your kids um, educated that everything that you do um, that, that you become good at requires a lot of work and, um, it made them kind of actually more interested. I make them take piano lessons just because I was made to take piano lessons and it's just like a non negotiable deal in this household and it made them more interested. And, um, so whatever they choose, I tell them every day, if you want to be the best gardener in the world, that is great, but you got to, you know, find your love of it and really put your heart into it and you will wind up being successful with it. Whatever that success means to you, whether it's happy or rich or whatever. It strikes me that uh, that as a as a creative, but also as a hugely successful creative, that that you that you have to sort of trust your gut. And and like you said, you're making something out of nothing. And you, you 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 probably find gold and you probably and you trust something in you that tells you it's gold but but it never existed before and who knows you know who knows whether it's going to mature the way that you hope it will and i there's a part of me that thinks that maybe motherhood is like that too um and i i would love if you talk a little bit about becoming a mom adopting which is its own process and becoming a, a mom and a single mom with this giant career that you're also juggling how you trusted yourself and how you gave yourself or how you told yourself you know what i'm i'm going to know how to do this i'm just going to get to it well i you know i was 40 i was 45 when i adopted wyatt and i had just 
finished about of uh, breast cancer treatment, and I had also been engaged before that. I'd actually been I'd been engaged a couple of times, and um, breaking hearts all over town. <laughs> well, no, I mean I suffered a broken heart for sure more than once, but um, I think. I think there was a moment where I felt like, you know, I I feel like I would be a great mom. I want to be a mom. I have I've always wanted to be a mom. I have a close-knit family. And actually it was my mom that said to me, "Why don't you just get a surrogate and a sperm donor?" which is I mean, that's pretty forward thinking for, you know, at that time a 70 year old woman yeah and you know it just occurred to me i'm gonna just like do i'm gonna at least walk the mile fill out the paperwork and see what happens if it's if it if it's meant to be great if it's not then it's not but by the time my kids came i felt like i'd done everything that i could ever imagine and i'd been so blessed with you know touring around the world and having hits and playing for people that don't even speak my language and getting awards and i felt like you know the time for me is right in that I'm never going to look back and think there wasn't anything I didn't do. And, and so it, you know, it, it, it was just a, something I felt like I could do in my, in my gut. And, um, yeah, it just, you know, it just, it just worked out that way. Okay. Tell me what the other part of the question was. I got off. No, that, that's, that was the question. The question was, how do you trust yourself to feel? Well, I, I, well, as you were talking, it sort of developed for me, were there parts that were scary for you? Because you're, uh, you know, so much of what you've done has has been trusting your instinct, has been knowing what felt right to you. And then motherhood is, is such a different beast, you know, it really. Well, uh, you know, there, there, life is amazing. I hate how fast it goes. But, you know, you start out with this essence of, of who you are, like this pure little spirit. And you come in and you get deprogrammed by all the information that's kind of flung at you. Mm-hmm. And then you struggle with that the rest of your life. You create all kinds of mythologies about who you are and who you aren't. And it wasn't until I started meditating when everything felt like it was crashing in on me um, and I felt like I had lost everything that felt familiar. Um, when I started meditating, I started sort of figuring out who I came in as. And that is, you know, they, they don't call it a practice. Um, I mean, it's not an accident that they call it a practice. You You never get it right, but you're always with meditating you're always seeking your true you know your true essence and and that has been for me a a huge game changer and i my boys have have been really curious about it particularly my 11 year old because he's a kid that has attention challenges and he you know has actually started meditating himself and wants to know what that is that keeps you centered and keeps you connected to something bigger there's also this great book you know with 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 raising kids and also with trusting your instincts there's so many things about raising kids that they tell you should do that i think are antithetical to to what it means to be um unconditional with your love like the whole time out thing separating yourself from your kid um, punishing them by separating them from you that so heavily did not work for my 11-year-old. What what did work? Well, I read this book called um, Positive Discipline. And 
it it definitely changed the way I think about parenting and even about just being around people in general, having people work for you. This this thing that we don't teach our kids how to internalize feelings. We just sort of basically say, if they fall down and they cry, we pick them up and dust them off and say, oh, it's okay, you're fine, you're fine. And, oh, look at this cute toy. And we distract them. And that is supposed to prepare them for life. And um, when they do something bad, we set them in a chair and we face them towards the wall and we say, you can just sit there. And that is, it, it really, I think, undermines this idea that um, that you you make mistakes, but there's not a mistake you could make that would ever separate my love from you. Right. And there's this great book called Positive Discipline where, you know, when you when a kid does a piece of art, instead of saying, oh my gosh, you're so talented, look how great you are, you give them the experience where you say, wow, that really must have been, I mean, that you must have worked hard on that. Doesn't that feel amazing that you finished that? And look at those colors that you put on that. You know, giving them the experience so that you're not just giving them an outward, gee, you're so clever, I love you. So not so much focusing on the outcome, but fo- focusing on sort of their their path to getting there. Their yeah, work. giving them the experience of what it should feel like to actually finish something or to actually spend 10 minutes concentrating. Um, you know, I, I was a kid that did all kinds of shucking and jiving to entertain in order to get what I felt like was love and adoration. And, you know, you just... We don't we don't learn the big lessons until we're adults and we're raising other people. We're raising kids to become people and that it's been a real growing thing for me even to just look at myself and go, "Wow, sometimes I have to let myself off the hook a little." How do you, how do you feel um, you know, you you ha- um you had breast cancer before you before you adopted your boys, is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Um how do you how do you feel that that shaped you as as a mother? I mean, I I have, you know, I've had hard days where, you know, X, Y, and Z happens and it's nothing, it's nothing compared to, to cancer, but I have to kind of check myself with my emotions and what I'm showing my children and my fear. Um, and then you, um, you then got, got sick again in, what is it? Um, when your when your boys were pretty little still, correct? Um, and then, and then, you know, how do you, how do you deal with, with that kind of emotion and stay strong and be a parent and, and do what needs to be done? Yeah. Well, you know, um, and like what you said about, you've had your own challenges. I I would say, look, whether it's cancer or whether it's going through a really heavy personal time, I mean, it doesn't have to be cancer to get you to that point where you realize that, you have to put your gas, your, what is it, the oxygen mask on before you put it on your yeah. kid. Um, you know, you, there are certain things that you learn through all of the hard challenges in your life. And one of them is that you have to learn how to say no and you have to take care of yourself first. And that was a big one for me. And um, the other thing I learned, though, is this idea that if you don't hold an emotion, if you don't, if you're going through something that feels awful and you just make yourself busy, which is what we do in Western um, you know, our Western practices that you're just going to continue to have, just be pushing down emotions and it's just going to catch up with you. And I mean, I cried a ton. I was mad. I was, I mean, all the emotions that you would have if you were going through something really devastating. Um, I sat with it until I was done with it until I couldn't cry anymore. And with my kids, 
I let them see if I'm down, but obviously your kids can be really, obviously they can be very jarred if they see you bawling. But my kids have seen me cry and I've explained to them, you know, sometimes, sometimes your heart hurts and the only way, you know, you can get rid of that is to let some tears come out and then you feel better. And, um, my kids also are really good because, um, I, when I'm reading, I look like I'm mad. When I'm thinking, I look like I'm mad. (laughs) And my kids will say, mom, why are you mad? Or why do you have on your mad face? And I always tell them, I'm so glad you're asking me that because I want you to know that's my face. If I'm reading, that's my face. You know, yesterday we went to the pet store and, uh, Levi was like, mom, why do you, uh, why are you mad? And I said, oh, buddy, I'm not mad. I'm reading the signs on the, you know, I said, thank you for asking me because I want you to know I'm not mad at you. This has nothing to do with you, you know. That is the best way. You know, I'm always telling them, look, if you guys think I'm mad, ask me because most of the time it means I'm not, you know. That, that, that's amazing because, I mean, as I have, we we both have very little children and I know that when I'm not okay, they, as you say, they get jarred. Oh, they internalize and, everything. And, but I think it's such a, it might not be the right thing either to just completely shield them from how you feel. I mean, you hear people say, I never saw my parents cry. I never saw or my fight. parents fight. I never saw that. And then when they start to experience that in their own life, you think, oh, well, that never happened for my parents. So why is it happening to me? And then, all, and you know, doing the process of, yeah, you know, mommy feels sad right now. Or mommy's, you know, mommy doesn't know the right thing. And then it's and then also when they're 18 years old and they realize that you don't have it all together, then they don't get so angry about it either. Um, I mean, you're so right. I remember seeing my dad cry for the first time. Uh, a close friend, family friend of ours passed away. It was probably his best friend. And I came downstairs in the middle of the night. And he was at the kitchen table crying. And I, I mean, it's one of those memories that um, has stayed with me. And, you know, all it would have taken would have been for him to say, I'm really sad, you know. And But it's a di- we're, we're generationally, generationally different now. We talk about things. And... That, w- that was the toolkit they had. But now we know that just explaining things to our kids can really take the pressure off of them. You know, just to be able to say, yeah, mom, mommy doesn't feel good or I'm, t- or I'm sad or, um, I, you know, just to explain to them that having an emotion is this is what this is what being alive means. It, it's what makes us have feelings for other people, for our pets, for, you know, it's. It's what cleanses us. It's what teaches us. I mean, I've actually had to tell my kids on a couple of occasions when I've been irritated with them, I've said, mommy is going to take a time out. And I mean, they'll just look at me like, what? And I'll be sad. <laughs> when they were really little, I would say, I'm going to put, I'm going to put myself in time out. Cause I'm really frustrated right th- with right now, right now. I'm frustrated that you guys are not listening to me. So I, instead of me getting really mad, I'm going to put myself in time out and then I'm going to come back in and the three of us are going to sit down and talk. And you talk about, I mean, two little boys getting quiet and like suddenly like, Oh, I think we're in trouble, you know? <laughs> Just explaining to kids that you don't always have the answers and sometimes you get really mad and that you don't want to say the wrong thing and you're going to sit and be quiet for a minute. And I mean, it's that that is one of those things from the that positive uh, parenting book that I used more than a handful of times. 
I think it, it sounds like you're really you're you're processing it with them because I mean it's not just this jarring moment like you said if you see, you saw your father crying and that was it and that's sort of the trauma but sort of seeing seeing that happen having it be explained and coming to some sort of resolution so that everybody can feel good. I mean I think one of the biggest problems that that we all have is that we're not good problem solvers. Whenever we have problems in life and we don't know how to solve them, that's what ends up being the actual problem. If you have a problem, you figure out how do you solve it, it no longer becomes a problem. Um, and teaching our children, say, hey, you know what? Shit happens and and we have to and we have to be able to fix it. I wondered if um, we wanted something a little bit fun with you in one sec, but I, I uh, wanted to ask because you've You've touched on it a little bit that there are elements of the way that you grew up and your childhood that you think are very are very formative and good and good. I mean, you mentioned that you never saw your mom on the phone for a very long time when you were there with her. Are there other things that you try to bring in from, um, you know, to to for, and not even just a normal childhood, just things that you felt formed you that are you're really important to you to give to your sons now? Um. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's. It, we're so different now. I mean, I think kids at the end of the day want to know that everything is everything is okay. Everything is normal. Um, nothing bad's going to happen. Um, you know, nothing. I can remember going through a period where I realized that my parents were going to die, and uh, it just oh my gosh! It. I mean, there were. I feel like there were many nights when I would wake up and just be terrorized. I think it's the not talking about things that probably taught me more about what I want to be as a parent than things that that um, they did. But I, I would say one thing: my parents are they're great people, and they have a good relationship. And that was a big thing that they taught me about. Mm-hmm. And I always say, you, you guys are the reason that I'm not married because you had such a good relationship. You know, hard to, hard to recreate standards. that. Uh, but they, the, one of the things they did do though, is that they, um, they, one of the many things that we did things as a family, they, um, they instilled in me the whole, I mean, how important it is to be a family that we, we live in a unit together. We have to be kind to each other and we have to learn how to forgive. In fact, I can remember my dad and taking me and my sister, who's two years older and we, Whenever we were fighting, he would always make us face each other, say you're sorry, and then, you know, say you're sorry. Okay, I want you guys to hug. You know, it would be like, the, we'd just be like, oh, I hate this, you know. And then, but, you know, I remember it, and it's, I do but it, it to my kids. End. I make my kids say, you know, I'm sorry, and I make them say I forgive you. And they're just little lessons along the way that you don't realize until you're doing it on your own. You know, you're raising your own kids that you go, wow. There were some great and powerful lessons in there. I also saw my parents have a lot of fun with us, and that's that's a big thing. And the other thing is my parents were not afraid to say no. I think parenting now has gotten to where we're afraid to ever our kids to ever have a minute of being unhappy and they you know they would say no and they would say why. That's something, one of my favorite pieces of parenting advice I've ever gotten was from my grandmother, and it was about the power of saying no. And I think as an, as just an adult functioning in society, there's a lot of power in no, too. But but I think with kids, they they really crave, like you said, they want to talk about it. They want, they want explanation, but they also want to know that someone else is in charge because they know they're not in charge and they know they don't have it all figured out and they know they haven't lived enough to know what the right answer is. But if you, they're like horses, right? If they, they'll test you and they'll 
they'll test you and they'll pull and they'll pull and they'll see how much you'll let them get away with. But at the end of the day, it's very reassuring. I found with, with my little guys, um, it's very reassuring for them to know that there are boundaries that my that my husband and I set, that there are rules to our family, there are, that there are these structures in place that support the kind of love that we want to have and the and the way that we want our kids to grow up and um and and I think when your parents aren't afraid to say no you know sometimes not irrationally (laughs) um it's really helpful yeah no I totally agree I think that's right I think kids you know they they do things to test the boundaries just to see where the boundaries are and um I, I think there's safety in that and and you know I've actually had to say to my kids I I know that this is making you unhappy. And I wish I could say yes to everything that you ask me. That would make me so happy, but I can't because I'm your parent. I signed up for it. And my job is to make good decisions for you. And some of my decisions are going to make you really unhappy. And you're going to just have to be mad at me for a little bit, you know, and they, they get it. But, um, but I, I, I think you're totally right. I think they feel more safe when they know, where the boundaries are and they know what's expected and you know in, in the end they will I mean I always say oh you know in the end you're gonna grow, you're gonna appreciate me for this <laughs> <laughs> no but I think that's also I always tell my kids um that when I when I say no because they're Carmen who's five is just getting to that point where I'll say no and she'll do it anyway which is like drives me nuts but I'll sit her down and I'll say I'm telling mommy loves you, right? And um, and she'll say yes. And I said, and mommy doesn't doesn't ever want you to get hurt, right? Yes. I said, so when I have my rules, are to protect you and to keep you safe. If you feel like they are not fair, you and I can have that conversation. And I'm always there. I will talk about it with you for hours. But you can't just do it because then that could be unsafe. And then whenever, by the way, whenever she does it anyway and she like falls over or something like that, I say, and see, and that's the reason why. Um, so, so I mean, I think just always teaching them that we have their best interest. We're not just saying it to be mean. We're saying it because this is, you know, a way to keep them safe and we have, you know, some, some life experience. That is so right. And also just the fact that you... I mean, that's what I call attentive or present parenting because you are speak, you're, you're having a conversation. I mean, would you have ever in your life thought, I'm going to have a conversation with my three or five year old? (laughs) (laughs) But it does matter. I mean, it really does matter. And she will grow up modeling communication because she's seen it and had it with you. And those are, I think those are the lessons that are as important as what you say, um, as the fact that she's getting to be a part of a conversation and and her mom is not just you know going through the motions and that I think that is so powerful as moms it does feel like we have to be attentive to so much and we are keeping track of so much and I personally I feel like sometimes my brain feels like Swiss cheese and there are just total gaps in the way that it functions um would you share with us your greatest mom brain moment Oh my goodness. Um, or just one of them, because I know I have a million of them. Just one. <laughs> like mom brain, things that you, like when you drop the ball, that kind of thing? Yeah, like things where, you know, you just spaced on it entirely. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, about three weeks ago, well, not even three weeks ago, it's been longer than that. It's probably been two months ago. I told my eight year old, who is super sensitive, he's a second child. 
He doesn't want to ever look different. He wants, he's like, Mom, uh, are all the kids wearing, you know, he's very, Aww. you know, very sensitive. And I, and, um, I said, okay, I'm going to bring you. He wanted Jimmy John's for lunch. I'm going to bring you Jimmy John's to, for lunch. I'll be there. At, he's like, Mom, we eat at 11.15. Okay, I will be there. I'm going to be there at 11. Mom, be there at 10.45. Okay, I'm going to be there at 10.45. And I forgot. I got busy and I forgot. And I'm not kidding you. I, I just right then and there was like, okay, you're going to be in therapy before you're like, before you're 13. But it was just, you know, I got busy. I got, th- you know, I worked out. I was like, do- got all these things going. And I totally forgot. And, you know, he was fine. He, his buddies shared their lunch with him. And I'm sure it was a sweet moment. But the, I'm sure he was just, I mean, I, it still grieves me thinking about him standing there waiting and me not bringing that sandwich. And he's my kid that never forgets anything. Right. <laughs> there will be a series of apologies until he's grown and has his own kids about that damn there, Jimmy John sandwich. There will be a lifetime of, of, of sandwiches. I hope in his wedding, your after like, party exactly, is just, just all sandwiches. Jimmy John's. We will still be discussing it. I'll, I'll, when they're eulogizing, that will be one of the funny moments in the eulogy. The day mom forgot the Jimmy John's. Aww. Aww. We want to we want to say thank you so much for for taking the time. Absolutely, we're really grateful. Such a pleasure. Is there anything is there anything else that you wanna that you wanna tell us tell us a, a little bit about what you're working on? I know the new album that we talked about, but yeah, actually we um, we just finished making. Actually, I've got one more thing I'm doing, but we I have a record coming out in I think it's going to be out in March or April. It's my last album, believe it or not. And why? Wait, why the last? Got a couple of reasons. It's it is a really collaborative record. Um, I, I while I was making that record that I made for three weeks, I worked with an old friend of mine who I've known for years. He's an artist. He has um, he had uh, or I guess he had it was the early onset of Alzheimer's, and he wasn't really making memories. And we did some recording together, and I started feeling like you know these moments in life. Um you have to capture them. And I started calling people that I love and I mean, young and old people I've, I've known and who have inspired me and just said, would, would you come play or come sing with me? And I wound up with an album that is just, I mean, I've got people I've, you know, loved and admired my whole life from Stevie Nicks to Eric Clapton to Keith Richards to Willie Nelson to Andre Day to Gary Clark Jr. I mean, it's, it's a really great record and it would be really hard to follow up. But on the other tip, it takes a lot of energy and a lot of time to put together an album. I mean, an old-fashioned album that has a beginning, middle, and an end. And I don't really think people listen to albums anymore. I think, you know, streaming is the way it is now, and songs are more in part more important than a full artistic statement. And so I'll always make songs and put them out. But I don't know that I'll ever go in and do a whole album again because it seems mm. kind of futile. So that's what's going on with oh. that. Well, it sounds what like a, the best album imaginable. I, I mean, my goodness, what a what a final stand! That's incredible. And that and that that's one of the things I love as well. You know, about talking to you and about you know this this um, the sort of the themes that we talk about on this podcast is you know we all come from different walks of life, but I think as becoming parents, you everything gets put into perspective. 
and learning just to live a little bit more and 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 focusing um, and seeing firsthand as we look at our children what really is important and why we get up in the morning and and why we take care of ourselves and and, and do our our day the way that we do and rush home to be with them um, and it's just really inspiring to to talk with you and 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 hear your your experience and your journey with with being a parent so thank you so much really. We're so grateful for your time. I love that you guys are doing this. I think it's such a great, not only a great idea, but it's it's necessary and what a great, just a great outlet for moms. I mean, we're all just doing the best we can and it's the greatest job I will ever have in my life and the most fulfilling and the funnest and the hardest and gut-riching and just joyful. It's just the greatest job ever. So um, I love that you're doing it. I'm so glad that you asked me to be a part of it, and I can't wait to hear all your podcasts. Well, we are oh, we so can't. grateful to and be able to wait share. To listen to your album. I can't wait to listen to your album. I'll send you a copy of it. It's incredible. Oh, well, thank you so much, and take care of yourself, okay? Thanks, guys. Bye. 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 Thank you. All right, you guys, that was Cheryl Crow, and you can follow her on social media at Cheryl Crow. All right, now it's time for Stuff We Love. Hit it, Daphne. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, this is a fun section of the podcast. We Look, we love word-of-mouth recommendations. We trust other moms. Please send us your favorite things that are really just helping you get through the day. Um, But we thought we'd share some of our favorites with you, and we just want to make sure you guys know these are not sponsored or endorsed. We'll take your money if you want to send it to us. But these are literally just things that we're loving and that we think you guys might love as well. So the thing that this week has popped up on my radar that I'm kind of into are these new Dang Energy Bars. Um, They're coconut chocolate, but no sugar added. I think they're kind of part of a keto plan. So they're there's a lot of fat in them, but they are delicious and filling. And I kind of love, I'm always looking for ways to trim sugar out of my diet. And this is one of those things I can keep in my purse and have it as a snack on the go. That's something different than just nuts, which is my normal go-to. Um, and it's filled me up and it's been delicious and you guys should try it. So my new thing that I'm obsessed with is Simply Divine Botanicals deodorant. Cause I'm all into this natural deodorant one and I've yes. tried pretty much all of them. And this one works and it's also like, $10 and $15 on Amazon, which you can't really beat that. I'm also going to say that Hilaria let me try another Simply Divine product, which is her Hey Now, hey now c- Brown Cacao. How now, how now Brown Cacao? How now Brown Cacao, <laughs> which it doesn't matter what it's called. Just go and Google Simply Divine and Cacao because what will come up is this chocolate confection that you rub all over your body it's almost as good as eating a chocolate dessert i'm just gonna put it out there all right you guys as you know we love when you send us your questions thoughts concerns considerations to mombrainpod at gmail.com and we're gonna read some of your questions now and uh, and give you our best answers this first question comes from sean g um last name blocked (laughs) for your own protection um and her question uh, to paraphrase is about you know she felt like there was a lot of negativity swirling around motherhood before she became a mom she felt like all she ever heard about was the the pain and difficulty of childbirth and the 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 you know agony of the first few months and she thought that it clouded her view of how truly blissful motherhood ended up being and it made it difficult for her to just enjoy it and trust in her experience uh as opposed to feeling like you know maybe maybe something was maybe maybe like the other shoe was always about to drop and that's why it wasn't negative for her yet um so Lauren and I have some serious thoughts on this because um negativity and positivity in motherhood it's it's definitely both sides um and there's a lot of both sides I feel like you know I completely agree with her and 
I would say that we are in a day and age when on social media we are all being accused of only putting up wonderful happy things They're like oh yeah everybody's life looks great on social media and I think that you're seeing a wave of people trying to go in the opposite direction of wanting to show these more as they're called it real moments I mean people if I put something a picture up where I have something like spilled all over me people are like oh I love the real moment but then I like put a nice photo of you know my daughter and I hugging and we're dressed up nice that they're like ah oh, that's so posed so I think that all of us um, are attempting to show these real moments because we're getting some, we're getting positive uh, feedback for it. I mean, we also, there's, I mean, that's not the only reason, but I think that you are right that, that there is something about us trying to show negativity to be like, hey, 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 here's my real life too. This is my real life too. I mean, I have four children and I have moments where I have spit up all over me. Currently, I am holding my youngest son who just finished nursing right now. Um, And that is a moment where I'm being multitasking mom and I would love to have my arms free right now but I don't have them free right now so that would be a moment that if I posted it you know people would say oh that's a real moment but then I have moments where I'm walking down the street with one of my kids and we're you know skipping and it's beautiful and the birds are chirping and the sun is shining so yes we need to show positivity as much as the tough moments I think when we show tough moments we also realize that that helps other people say oh my gosh I'm having this tough moment too and it's a way of connecting with each other so I think there's a lot of different reasons that that people show these these hard moments um but you know I I was so amazed I um uh Will and Kate had their their first child just before I delivered Carmen and I remember her coming out um in a blue dress like hours right after she delivered and she still had a little bit of a belly and that was the first time that I thought like wow my belly's not going to just go away afterwards and so I got into showing sort of the postpartum you know um, belly going down and showing these you know sort of the images of how my body changes right after and even with those people are like oh my god you totally photoshopped I'm like okay so you (laughs) ultimately you can never win post what you want to post that's it we're gonna read this email from Mary Claire Hi, Larry and Daphne. I follow you both. I follow you both on Instagram, and I'm very excited for your podcast. I know you asked for people to request topics, etc. I have a 16 week old, and would be especially interested in talks on postpartum anxiety, particularly about SIDS and going back to work and sleep training. Oh gosh, yes, yes, yes. Well, Mary Claire, uh, when I was pregnant with my first, my daughter. I was so nervous about just the birth and I figured, okay, as soon as she comes out, we're all going to be good. Um, And then she came out and I remember holding her in my arms and then having this feeling of like, oh my God, now I have to keep her alive. And I was so nervous and I didn't sleep the entire first week. I would sleep like tiny little cat naps. Um, I was delirious. And it wasn't because she was crying a lot because she was such a good baby. It was more because I was just terrified that if I went to sleep, she all of a sudden wouldn't wake up and she was going to die of sits. That was kind of the blunt way of doing it. And I was so, so, so afraid. Um, So one of the things that actually helped me was um, I got educated on SIDS and that the statistics include uh, suffocation. 
and people not making their beds properly, the, ba- the baby's bed properly. So when I got more educated on it, I started to feel better. I also walked around the streets and I would look at everybody and I would say, okay, you were a baby and you yes. were a baby and you were a baby and you were <laughs> you a baby. You have all survived. And you have all survived. And humans, we are meant to survive. And yes, bad things do happen. But those, you know, every moment is is amazing with your child but there's something that's super super precious about the baby when you're just getting to know him or her um right at the beginning and so you know i i would say those that's very common especially the first time around is just to be super nervous and and when i say to first time moms who are kind of embarrassed about being you know a little bit nervous and they don't want to be seen as like that mom you know it's okay you got to live the experience i had to live the experience of being a first time nervous mom and you know what by number 4 i still get nervous about some things but um less nervous than i used to be but but it's true like there's still things that make me that make me a little a little uh, squeamish or nervous. Look, you really care about and you really love your kids. You want it to go well. You want it to go really well. And understandably, as a first-timer, you don't know what to expect and you don't know what to look out for. And so you are constantly questioning yourself and questioning every, you know, little hiccup and burp and, and, and wondering if it's, you know, a clue about something you should be paying attention to. And the reality is that's probably evolutionarily a good thing. We were probably you know, somewhere along the way trained to ask those questions and be hyper attuned so that we can protect and and keep our babies safe. I want to talk really quickly about postpartum anxiety, though, because and this is just something anecdotal that I found to be true. Um, I think that the combination of being super exhausted and having your hormones raging and having the stress and pressure of of taking care of a newborn and it, especially when it's your first and and that um that that sort of unknown that great abyss of the unknown is there looking at you in the face and you're tired you know under eye bags eyes <laughs> um i i think it would be crazy to think that um you wouldn't have some degree of just like nervousness and anxiety and that you know obviously there's a difference between that and full-blown postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety they're they are real and they are things that we I'm so grateful that we're talking about more now so that women don't feel alone in that experience and they don't feel like they don't have a place to turn and and listening ears and good solutions and one thing I do want to add is that while I um, have been lucky not to have anything totally full-blown after my births, after my third with Nika, I was on a really massive dose of um, antibiotics when I was in labor. And the result um, was that obviously like a lot of my gut bacteria was killed. And those of you who know or, or think highly of this idea that there's a connection between what your gut bacteria and your gut flora looks like, and everyone's talking about gut health right now, um, not just for, for metabolism and immunity, but also for mood balancing. That that the bacteria in your gut is actually responsible for a lot of the production of hormones that govern your moods. Um, anyway, so I was like super morose and and just I, I can't even describe it as someone who's never actually experienced depression. It was the weirdest out of body thing for me because on the one hand I was um, you know like analytically and logically I knew nothing was wrong. I was so you know grateful. I had this wonderful healthy baby and everything was good. But then periodically throughout my days I would just feel this crushing weight of of nervousness, anxiety, uh, self-doubt, all, all of these horrible feelings. And I was like crying on the phone to my grandmother one day and my grandmother 
has a ton of information uh, or a ton of you know, research and studying in, in the fields of nutrition, homeopathic medicine, all of that. And she said to me, she was like, well, didn't they give you a lot of antibiotics? Like, have you taken any probiotics and prebiotics to rebalance your gut health? And I said, no, obviously I hadn't been thinking about me and my gut health. I'd been thinking about my baby. And she was like, well, I'll take a really high course of probiotics right now and see what happens. I'm not even kidding you. Within a day, I felt like a new human. And that to me was really powerful. And I I put it out there not as some kind of panacea or cure, just anecdotally something that really helped me in hopes that maybe there's some of you who could try something like that and it might help you too. Um, But it sounds like you got your hands full and that you are going to be just fine. Yeah, no, and I think the most important thing is for you just to figure out, so to pinpoint, sit with yourself and figure out what exactly is vexing me. Is it something that requires a little extra help of going to see a doctor or, you know, a nice chat with a girlfriend or your mom? Is it working out? Is it just normal jitters that is, you know, you haven't done this before, so it's new and that's that's completely natural? Or is it something where you need to get educated on it? I mean, solutions are always very helpful helpful in terms of calming anxiety. Um, So try to sort of figure out what exactly is behind the anxiety and then be able to go to the direction of the solution. If you guys have any questions for the pod, for Hilary and I, send them on over. We are mombrainpod at gmail.com. That's mombrainpod at gmail.com. We love your emails. Please write to us and let us know what you think and write in your questions. And of course, most importantly... Remember to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to Mom Brain. I'm Daphne. And I'm Ilaria. Signing off. Ciao. Bye. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Mom Brain is a Gallery Media Group production.